Hey, would you look at that? It's only been a day, and yet we actually have the New Hampshire Democratic primary results because uh, New Hampshire actually had their stuff together, unlike Iowa. So Bernie Sanders won, but only by a tiny margin over Mr. Booty Judge, Booty Judge. And then Joe Biden got fifth place. Fifth. So, you know, he just got up and left. He said, I don't need to spend any more time with you people. Gonna go hang out with my blacks. Gonna go hang out with my blacks in South Carolina. Well, he better savor this before he runs out of money completely and is forced to drop out entirely. Speaking of dropping out, Yang Gang is done. Very sad. And so is Michael Bennett, who is... Wait, Michael Bennett. Which, which one was Michael Bennett? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. The, he's, he's the doofy-looking senator from Colorado who is just totally cringe to listen to. Plus, the nuclear family was a mistake. You hear that? A mistake. That is according to David Brooks, the Canadian conservative, whom, of course, we all look to for guidance because his brain is so enormous. And lastly, Andrew Wilkow is here to debate the crime-reducing phenomenon known as stop and frisk, which he's not a fan of. I am. We discuss. So before we dive into the Granite State primary, you know, that's how you let people know that you're extremely intelligent is when you refer to the states as their nicknames. But first, I, I want to quickly tell you about our sponsor, the Books Co. Just because she says she doesn't want anything for Valentine's Day doesn't mean she doesn't deserve anything. And you need to get her something. So not to worry, the Books Co. has got you covered. That's Books, B-O-U-Q-S, as in bouquets of flowers. They offer farm-fresh, sustainably sourced flowers for next or same-day delivery. Order today and get 25% off your entire purchase. Go to books.com slash WHB. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash WHB for 25% off with the code WHB. And remember, Valentine's Day isn't just for lovers. Show your best Galentine some love. Or let mom know how much you love her. Or if you're feeling risky, make that first move with the one you've been crushing on. Fellas, you think it's cold outside now? Wait until you forget Valentine's Day. The Books Company is here to make your life easier, and they offer more than just roses. You'll find sweet treats. You'll find beautifully styled bouquets, plants, gifts, succulents on their website. This Valentine's Day, spread the book love with your first love, your forever love, and your loved ones by going to B-O-U-Q-S.com slash W-H-B today for 25% off with the code W-H-B. Okay, so Bernie Sanders has won the New Hampshire primary. Not as much, not as much as he did in 2016. But this year, he did defeat Pete Buttigieg, but only did it by less than 2% when the race was called with 80% of precincts reporting. Sanders got 64,000 votes. Buttigieg got 62,000 votes. I mean, that's a, that's a tiny lead. Contrast that to 2016 when Bernie got more than 152,000 votes compared to Hillary's 95,000. And yet he, he, he thinks he's well positioned to win still. This victory here is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump. 
Oh, is it? Interesting coming from a man who won by a sliver of a margin versus Donald Trump, who actually won the New Hampshire primary handily on the Republican side. Trump cruised to victory with about 83% of the vote and just 8% of precincts reporting when the race was called. Bill Weld, the former governor of neighboring Massachusetts, was a distant second. Yeah, but go ahead with your two points, Bernie. Let us know how it feels to be so close in the race to a virtual nobody, Buttigieg, who, if not just as radical as Bernie, definitely makes up for it in his pandering skills. Celebramos tu pertenencia en este país y si este país es tu país también. Hey Siri. Translate from Spanish, celebramos tu pertencia a este país y si este tu país también. In Spanish, celebrate as stupid and see ISUC as the doctor, but as Tavian is. No, I don't think that's right. Shut up, you useless nag. Don't think that's right. Well, for all of those accusing me of being monolinguistic, well, I'll have you know I do have some Espanol under my belt. And what Buttigieg is actually saying is, we celebrate your belonging in this country, and yes, this country is your country too. But who is he talking to? Thanks, Siri. Well, he's talking to illegals, right? How very moderate, Pete Booty Judge. No, radicalism is very in vogue right now for leftists, which is why radicals like Sanders and Booty Judge are at the top. People are all like, Booty Judge is a moderate. He's not a radical. Really? He's a gay socialist mayor who believes that if you don't believe in having abortions in the third trimester, well, then you have no place in the Democrat Party. A guy whose father spoke fondly of Lenin and the Communist Manifesto, and Pete, Mayor Pete, never disavowed it. A guy who wants to rid the elect of the, of the Electoral College and stack the Supreme Courts and transform the country through the Green New Deal. Really, that's not radical? Of course it is. Bernie, not defeating Booty Judge by much, of course, but... Who is he crushing? Well, he's still crushing Biden. You know, the moderate far-left liberal. I guess that's what we'll call him. He's the moderate far-left liberal who came in fifth place. I mean, fifth place. He's supposed to be the front runner. And yet he's defeating Amy Klobuchar, Buttigieg's, and so is, is Bernie Sanders. This is another moderate, and she came in third. So Klobuchar is beating Biden still who came in fifth. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, back in Iowa, was neck and neck with Biden during the Iowa caucus, and now she has just defeated him by two people in New Hampshire. You know, this woman, Amy Klobuchar, has got a name that sounds like something you use to get rid of the stains in your bathtub. Hey, honey, you left the ring of soap around the bathtub again. Oh, okay, well, I'll just go get it off with some Klobuchar, right? I mean, this woman is Biden's competition. But please tell me more about how Joe Biden is the clear front runner. No, the, the clear front runners are Bernie, clearly, and Booty Judge. The clear front runners do not get determined by these nerdy little pollsters calling barely functioning landlines and asking clueless people. Joe Biden <clears throat> is one of the most uh, magnificent candidates we have seen in decades. Would you consider voting for him? Oh, well, uh, well, I guess. Okay, folks, well, here's another likely voter for Biden. 
That's how it works. That's what goes down. That's how he ends up at the top of the polls. But all you had to do was watch Biden to know this guy's not well. He's not engaged. He's not charismatic. Obama even had no interest in endorsing him. And every time he opens his mouth, it's like you want to hide. You want to hide under the desk because of how much cringe spills out of it. That's why we told you from the very beginning, Biden would not be the nominee. Joe Biden is a dumbass, and the notion that he's going to be the nominee is hilarious, despite the smart set insisting that he's going to be the nominee. We all know he won't. You know, Washington, they have a way of making ideas that everybody knows are outlandish seem legitimate. We also tried to tell you from the very beginning, since April, in fact, to look out for this guy, Pete Buttigieg. He can believe all of the things that we just showed you, and yet he can still come across as a moderate. How is that possible? I'm not sure, but that's what you have to watch for, because this is a guy who has raised $7 million, $7 million, and he hasn't even officially declared his candidacy, candidacy yet. I mean, for a no one in a town in Indiana that no one has ever heard of, $7 million is a lot of money. Now, if it got to him going against Trump in the debate stage, I don't know. I think it wouldn't even be a contest. I think he'd be slapped around by the president like a damn toy. But he's only 37. Only 37, and he's making this many waves, and so that makes him worth keeping a keen eye on. You know, they should just pay me to make these predictions because, uh, I mean, I call it better than all of the so-called experts, but because my humility is boundless, I always feel uncomfortable going out there and saying, here's what's going to happen, here's what's not going to happen, but my track record is better, far better than these eggheads who pour over the numbers Jimmy them and then say, well, obviously Hillary Clinton's going to win in 2016. You know, there's really no question, really, because I, not the expert, drove by a lot of Trump signs in places where there shouldn't have been Trump signs and they were waving them proudly. And I talked to a lot of people, I, in, back when I was in New York, who secretly told me, dude, I'm embarrassed about it, but I think I've got to go for Trump, man. And it was like, Oh my gosh, you too? Yeah, but, but keep it on the download. Don't tell anybody because I know it sounds crazy, but I really think that this is the guy that's going to get the job done. And then what confirmed that is after seeing the energy at Trump rallies compared to the virtually empty rooms at Hillary rallies, I knew. Now, full disclosure, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump again in 2020. I was also an early supporter of Trump. I mean, maybe a supporter of him from day one, which is why I get annoyed with many of these bandwagoners who accuse me of, of not being loyal enough to the president whenever I hold Trump's feet to the fire for promises he made back in 2016. At that same time, all of these people were out there saying he's unfit, he's not presidential enough, we need somebody far more responsible, like a Marco Rubio. What a disaster that would have been. We need somebody far more responsible, like John Kasich, who's got a, got a level head on his shoulder. I even remember when I was a producer at Fox News, I had to keep my support for Trump under the wraps because even there, it was not acceptable to be a Trump supporter uh, until he won, of course. And then, like everyone else, many of them at Fox came on board. And I, I'm not going to get mad, of course not, at anyone for converting, but don't bring your weak principles and water down the president's agenda to make him more palatable to you. 
to make him more like the candidates we knew from the beginning didn't have a shot because their ideas were insufficient and not at all what the American people wanted. When I saw how Trump would light up a room versus his opponents, there was no doubt in my mind that he would win. But because all of the experts were telling me, no, 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 you've got this wrong, Hillary's got this one, I thought, okay, well, they are the experts, they do know more than me, I'll keep my mouth shut. And yet, all of these pollsters were completely wrong. And they've been, how many consequences for their errors? None. They are just as confidently coming out today and saying, well, Joe Biden is sure to be the nominee. Meanwhile, normal person in America looks at Joe with his bleeding eye, looks at Joe stumbling through sentences and not knowing where he is, what state he's in, talking about his incoherent rants about corn pop, his leg hair and cockroaches and thinks, what? This guy? And I talked to my liberal friends, of which, by the way, I have plenty, simply by living here in the swamp and where I grew up in L.A. and such, and none of them have any interest in Biden. CNN doesn't know that. The media doesn't know that. CNN correspondent Miguel Marquez was actually shocked to find no Biden supporters in sight in New Hampshire. Most surprising here is that of all the voters I've talked to, and we're talking probably upwards of 100 right now, not a single one saying they support Joe Biden. Maybe most surprising to you, but no one else who looked at this objectively and honestly was surprised. And it's almost certain to me that he's not going to be the nominee. I can't believe that these galaxy brains miss it. So this guy, Mike Bloomberg, former mayor of New York City, was caught on tape saying some pretty crazy stuff about how he maintains order in his city. But those cops, we have the crime in the minority neighborhood. So it's one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way she got the guns out of the kids' hands is to throw them up against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to get caught, so they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. Since last year, he's apologized for his policies. But after hearing that tape, it's hard to just ignore him telling us how he really feels about throwing blacks up against the wall. And while I think his rhetoric uh, probably goes too far and is in reality just a, another manifestation of his far left authoritarian streak, I still support stop and frisk simply because it's effective. And New York City, of all places, need an effective solution to its rising violent crime. Andrew Wilkow, host of the Wilkow Majority on SiriusXM, as well as host of Wilkow here on Blaze TV, does not support stop and frisk. Andrew joins me now. Andrew, thanks for being here. No problem. So I get that Bloomberg's rhetoric is, is over the top. And really, when he comes back and just walks it back now and says, you know, well, I'm, I don't believe that anymore. We heard how you actually think. And you can't just on a dime flip like that. So I'm not really here to defend Bloomberg. But as a policy, stop and frisk 
I mean, you can't deny that it reduced crime and violent crime and murders, particularly in minority communities in New York City. Well, a lot of what became effective policing started under Giuliani. So the crime rate was, re- but this brings out the grumpy libertarian in me, right? This this civil sort of, rights guy. The, it, it's well, I, I consider myself a consistent constitutionalist, and the idea whether it's DUI checkpoints or throwing people up against walls, there's a, a line between an effective police tactic and one that fits and comports with the Constitution. And for some people, I guess you could say, well, you know, I'm not the one being thrown up against the wall, so I don't really have a problem with it until you are the one to get, you know, the the, the Constitution has to be looked at and viewed and applied consistently. Well, for for a, all a, of our a few things. things. First of all, 1968, Supreme Court said it was constitutional. It just wasn't being um applied constitutionally because it, they, they saw you can't profile. But Terry versus Ohio said it actually is constitutional. And they said if the officer believes that the suspect may be armed, he may pat the individual down for a weapon. Um, and that would be the stop and frisk aspect. Now, as somebody who would probably be more uh, likely to be frisked than you, for instance, um, you know, is it inconvenient? Is it a pain to have a police officer come up to you and, you know, just... I would hope not throw you up against the wall, and that's where I detract from Bloomberg. But if I had a police officer come up to me and you know demand that I be frisked, um, yeah, it's inconvenient. Yeah, it's not um, going to make my day. But having a loved one, or having a relative, or having you know even a good friend, neighbor, what have you, killed because of the crime in New York is far more of an inconvenience than having to be you know searched. I, again, I, I still fall back on the idea that we are, we are innocent until proven guilty, and searches and seizures have to comport with, you know, if you want to lower it to reasonable suspicions or or suspicious behavior, we're, we're, he, we're talking about moving the ball in a direction that allows police officers just to throw you up against the wall because you're walking down the street. And walking down the street being dressed out of place or being somewhat weird or having behavior that's that's not the norm should not be enough for police officers to toss you up against a wall. And, and, and you know, I always think farther down the road here. Uh, whether or not I fit the demographic is irre- irrelevant. One day I might. You know, maybe one day a Bernie Sanders administration says, I want all gun owners, you know, or anyone suspected of being a gun owner. I hate the NRA. I hate the Second Amendment. I want these people thrown up against the wall. I look further down the road and go, how does this get abused, right? Where, where, Where's the potential for abuse here? Where's the potential for for a bad election cycle to give someone this power that we really don't trust to wield it. And, you know, Bloomberg Bloomberg and Sanders are, are tyrants of, of the other side of the, they're, they're, they're of two the sides of the same right. coin. Right. They really are. Yeah. I, I mean, but if it's, say, I, it, I understand the constitutional aspect and, you know, Fourth Amendment, it would be, I, I can see how you could see it as an unreasonable search um, to just be stopped in the street. But... Under the circumstances of New York City, I mean, you talk about pre-Giuliani. I mean, the crime is through the roof. I mean, you know, one, it went from being one of the most dangerous cities to being literally the most safe city in America. Well, part of that, you got to also understand that when you have really far left city councils and far left judges, that it, it, it's its own 
catch and release, right? You know, when, when the court system doesn't have the courage to lock people up and the city council's weeping for all the poor social cases, instead of saying, wait a second, you know, uh, you, people might still out of poverty, but that doesn't explain rape. Well, that doesn't explain this. Right. And again, if somebody's walking down the street and they've got a giant bulge in their jacket and it's totally out of place, that's a different story. I just don't want to enable... And I don't think police officers want. Well, just, just to clarify, if they did have a giant bulge, you would be okay with that search and seizure. If it looked, if it looked like a, a firearm, you know, if, if you're talking about a a a city where you know, you, basically, could, it's impossible to carry. We, we a, could a firearm. we could argue whether or not. Um, part of what drives this is that they've made it impossible for people to legally carry, you know, and that gave us the very famous Bernard Getz case where you talk about the crime rate before Giuliani, Bernard Getz basically became a street vigilante because the police couldn't prosecute crime and the the, the judges and, and the politicians were letting criminals run the streets and people were defenseless. But that, that was a very different era from, from where we are now. But if we get rid of stop and frisk, we go back to that era. I don't think so. I, I think they're, 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 effective policing still has to comport with civil rights. And again, I just, it's the, it's the boop, it's the libertarian on my shoulder that is skeptical of what can happen two or three election cycles down the road if we set precedent now. And the problem with Bloomberg is, Bloomberg really is a, a liberal tyrant in the sense that he looks at people and he says, they're a burden, right? They are an irritant to people like him. He doesn't like the idea of people doing as they please. He was cracking down on what people ate, where they smoked. I mean, I mean, what I, they drove. So, so, I mean, he didn't get to people's bedrooms yet, but I'm sure he would have. He would have thought of that. Um, you know, the, the hiding of the formula in the hospitals. I mean, he just anything that bothered him, he just waved his hand and said, people right. shall not do that anymore. Right. And then it comes to, you know, the most essential right, which is the right to life. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, all out on that. So, I mean, the 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 inconsistencies are just, uh, I, I think, crazy with him. And those inconsistencies lend them to the one policy which I happen to agree on, which is this stop and frisk stuff. I still, I just, I, I... I support police officers. I support effective policing. I just want to make sure that we don't put police in a situation where they're ordered to violate people's rights because that's the stuff, you know, when we defend police officers, it's not, they don't make the policy. You know, the average police officer, even all the way up to, you know, lieutenant is not making these policies. This is coming from the top down. I don't want to see police officers put in a situation where they are expected to do things that make them the, the targets of hostility from people who just want to walk down the street. Sure. And I get that. But I'm just saying, when you look at the numbers and you look at the crime going down from 2002 to 2013, um, when Bloomberg was in office, it went You also have to remember that Giuliani really improved it, the economy of the city. Right. And jobs I'm not putting all of that out you know. the window. But, I mean, 50% is a significant number. It is. And, you know, 1,600, I believe, Liberty's minority scary. lives are saved. And if you got these Democrats talking about, you know, we, we, uh, Black Lives Matter, you would think that they'd be in favor. Uh, I'm, not say, I'm not saying you, but you think they'd be in favor of policies that actually do save black lives. And it doesn't seem like they are because they have some woke complex where they, you know, that's well, where I think they're getting <laughs> at it. New York's, now you have this sort of weird Antifa 
Black Lives Matter woke left uh, assault on the subways where they want transportation to be free and no police officers in the yes. subways at all. Uh, I rode the, sev- the the subway in the late 70s and the early 80s with my mom. Not a not a pleasant thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's going to go back to that. That's my fear. Andrea, that's all I have time for. Thank you. All right. All right, guys. Coming up, did you know the nuclear family was nothing but a giant mistake? Yes, that that's the latest conspiracy theory from David Brooks, who is... Usually a columnist at the New York Times, but he's uh, migrated even further to the left, writing for The Atlantic for this butte. So we'll give you a small taste of his lunacy next. All right, I want to quickly tell you about Home Title Lock. You may have heard me talk about Deborah. Deborah's home was stolen. Yes, her actual home, not the stuff in her home, her home itself. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. This story is why my friends protect their home's titles with home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned it. But it actually gets worse. Deborah goes on to say I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. That is exactly why you need home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft whatsoever. Home title lock does. So first things first, go to hometitlelock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim, but just don't know it. Then sign up to protect your legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. And to get you started, I got you 60 risk-free days of protection. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com, that is HomeTitleLock.com. Okay, so the brilliant Dave Brooks has a piece in the far-left legacy rag, The Atlantic, titled, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. The family structure we've held up as the cultural ideal for the past half century has been a catastrophe for many. It's time to figure out better ways to live together. Now, because of my usual distaste for David Brooks, I read that headline and automatically assumed, automatically assumed that this article would be crapping all over the nuclear family in order to praise some single parent utopia where kids are raised by the community, by the schools rather than their parents in order to scold us and let us know we must accept an era where men can have kids and kids raised by two women are just as equipped for life as those in a heterosexual two-parent household. That couples like this are just as acceptable as your normal nuclear family. Take that, Trump. I just assumed, because of who David Brooks is, that that's what his piece was going to be. And that's exactly what it was. Brooks bemoans a period from 1950, the awful 50s, to 1965, right before the radical 70s, where the nuclear family was celebrated. During this period, he writes, a certain family ideal became engraved in our minds, a married couple with 2.5 kids. When we think of the American family, many of us still revert to this ideal. When we have debates about how to strengthen the family, we are thinking of the two-parent nuclear family with one or two kids probably living in some detached family home on some suburban street. We take it as the norm, even though this wasn't the way most humans lived during the tens of thousands of years before 1950, and it isn't the way most humans have lived during the 55 years since 1965. Well, America 
wasn't founded tens of thousands of years ago. And for much of those 10,000 years, might I add, the world was stuck in a dark age where there was no human progress whatsoever and people kept other people, other human beings, in dungeons. Brooks continues to bash the 50s and early 60s. He says, for one thing, most women were relegated to the home. <gasps> Many corporations well into the mid 20th century barred married women from employment. Companies would hire single women, but if those women got married, they would have to quit. Demeaning and disempowering treatment of women was rampant. Women spent enormous numbers of hours trapped inside the home under the headship of their husband raising children. Can't believe they were raising kids. Can you imagine a woman who raises her children at home? Oh, the tragedy. He continues to write, in short, the period from 1950 to 1965 demonstrated that a stable society can be built around nuclear families so long as women are relegated to the household. Nuclear families are so intertwined that they are basically extended families by another name, and every economic and sociological condition in society is working together to support the institution. The major strains were cultural. Feminism, excessive individualism, those kinds of things, which he actually is right about. But blaming the nuclear family for that and calling it a mistake is absolute hogwash. Blame the feminists. Blame those who worship the self before God or before community. I mean, blame those who got everyone addicted to their smartphones. You want to blame who's responsible for today's culture? Blame Silicon Valley. Blame the culture of materialism that has festered. But the nuclear family? Don't blame the nuclear family itself, which has been a source of stability in America for so many kids. Those were the kids of the 1950s. Because the kids of the 60s and 70s grew up to be the boomers who, I'm sorry, boomers, I know you watch some, some of you watch this show. Uh, many of you destroyed everything out there due to excess materialism and status angst. But a two-parent heterosexual household is not the issue, Brooks. You know, Brooks advocates for the modern chosen family which came into prominence among gays and lesbians in San Francisco. Really, that's your model? Their, their, their theme is family isn't always blood, oftentimes because it uh, can't be, but instead, family are the people in your life who want you in theirs. Really, that's how family works? The ones who accept you for who you are. Uh, yeah, tell that to history. That's what you consider family? I mean, these guys aren't even trying to go back to the old style of family, which I could get behind that incorporates a much larger extended family where you've got a web of relationships, including cousins and in-laws and grandparents, etc., providing support if someone else needs to step in. If, for instance, the mom dies, or the father dies. You have a network. I can probably get behind some of that. But no, they want a modern version of that, which means anyone can be in your family. Blood doesn't matter. Men, women, zwomen, doesn't matter. Well, history would prove the contrary. A nuclear family provides stability when all of the other things are in place. But you need discipline. You need God. You need loyalty. You need honor. And you need virtue. And its death will come along with the destruction of America. That is the nuclear family's death. It was not a mistake. 
as Brooks says, it's something all Americans should strive toward and strive to achieve so that we can get the, we can get the country's birth rates back up and continue to prosper as a country. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the White House Brief Podcast. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please rate it, and if you feel like doing it, please leave a review. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.